You're listening to The Patchwork Girl and Friends. I'm Kendra, and I love having interesting conversations with my friends about art, media, life, the universe, and everything. And that is what this podcast is all about. I am very honored and pleased to introduce my guest today, my very talented friend, Dan. Hello. And Dan and I go way back. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We met at a talent show at Walt Disney World. And uh, we found out that we have a mutual love of Epcot. Yes, we do. (laughs) I remember we would often outvote our friend Stevie and drag her to Epcot on all of our days off. (laughs) Yes. It was so (laughs) common. Just be like, hey, you want to go to Epcot again? Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) She was so kind. And because I want to go to Epcot, and obviously I can't right now, the next best thing is just to have a conversation about Epcot. And that is why Dan is here. (laughs) So, Dan, what are your earliest memories of Epcot? My earliest memories of Epcot definitely date back to when I was probably about, I'm going to guess maybe seven or eight years old. I have some photos of back in like the early 90s garb of the Epcot style where everything was like supposed to be futuristic, but it's like, this is so dated. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but that was like my earliest memory. I, I remember seeing like the jumping fountains in front of the land pavilion. And I definitely remember World Showcase. And that's probably the earliest, earliest that I can recall. I remember getting a placemat, which I can't even find online anymore. I actually really wanted one, but it had the Epcot ball on there. It's a very retro vibe placemat and i think we got it from there yeah that's the that's the absolute earliest that i can recall way back were you as obsessed with it back then as you were when when we were there honestly i think i was i enjoyed it i don't think my passion for epcot really kicked off until probably my teen years because when we would go down to disney almost by default we would almost always go to epcot And when Animal Kingdom came into play, I would go to Animal Kingdom. Growing up, I Mm -hmm. definitely went to the Magic Kingdom a lot, but I think I kind of outgrew that a little bit. And then at the time, it was MGM Studios. I guess I kind of went there a few times, but I don't have a lot of memories of it because I guess I just wasn't that big into that park. But it was almost constantly Epcot or Animal Kingdom. Um, but definitely later later lives, definitely later in the later teens is where the passion for Epcot just kind of exploded. Why do you think that is? Like, why the the Epcot love? I think for me, the reason why I absolutely love Epcot is because of World Showcase. So I'm not trying to sound biased, but I'm just going to say I'm biased. I absolutely love the World World Showcase concept. I would spend almost all my time over there. Future World, I'd enjoyed. There wasn't a whole lot that, like, pulled me in constantly. I would almost ritualistically go on the um, communications ride inside of Epcot, um, Spaceship Earth. And then after that, I'll go straight to World Showcase and spend most of my time there. So I do love both of the park part of the parks, but I think World Showcase has more of my passion and interest because it aligns more with my cultural interests and people in general. Yeah, that's exactly the same for me. I love the World Showcase so much. Did I ever tell you about the first time I ended up in Epcot? No, tell me. Yeah, I had never been to Disney World before I started working there. And so I had never been to Epcot as a guest 
just a regular guest. I had never been there as a kid. I had no idea what it was actually like. And so I jumped on a, on a, a cast bus that would take workers from our apartment complex to Epcot. And I thought it was like all the other parks because they, they tend to drop you off at the mm -hmm. gate, but the Epcot one does not. It drops you off very much backstage. Yep. <laughs> and I was completely lost and awkward and by myself. So I wandered around backstage for quite some time. And then finally someone showed me how to get into the park. And I ended up entering the park right by the Mexican. Pavilion. Yes. Yeah. So that was like my first entrance into Epcot wasn't even through the front <laughs> gate. <laughs> That was you. I remember now. I remember. I was trying to remember actually recently the story that somebody came in from a very awkward entrance and I couldn't remember. That yeah. was you. That was totally me. And then, and then it got worse because then I, I had the bet. That was like the best day of my life. It was like heaven. I called my parents and I was like, "This is amazing. I'm, I'm in the best place on earth." And they're like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> but. <laughs> But I, I spent the whole day there and I was trying to leave before it got super dark. And also before um, I did not see illuminations that first time. Mm -hmm. I couldn't remember where I had come from. <laughs> <laughs> so I went backstage at some other random point and found myself on this dark road <laughs> and no one there. So I like wandered up and down the road until a bus driver found me. And was like, are you lost? And I'm like, I'm trying to get somewhere. <laughs> and so he kindly <laughs> took me back to where I could get on the, um, the bus that went back to the apartments. It was really funny going back to Epcot because I think I, I took a different way because I didn't want to do that again. And then I went through the front gate and I was with someone and I'm like, wow, this is what the front gate is like. And they're like, what do you mean? <laughs> it's like I, I went in for my whole other entrance. <laughs> whole different entrance. But anyway, I also love World Showcase because of that. So I, I want to ask you about World mm -hmm. Showcase. Has that influenced your view of other cultures? That is a very good question. A um, little bit of backstory. So I grew up in a community where it wasn't very diverse. So my knowledge of other countries and cultures was predominantly through media. And when I went to Epcot, a lot of it was like, oh, this must be how it must be over there. And to some extent, it's more of the older traditional styles of the country. So it's not quite so like stereotypical. But over the years, when I started learning more and more about the countries themselves, and then when I did the college program, I did uh, did it twice. First time I was at Disney Quest. Second time, interestingly enough, I worked at World Showcase. So I really got yeah. to know the cast members there and get to really know the countries and appreciate it on a level that I don't think most guests really get the chance to really experience. So the countries themselves yeah. definitely influenced my view of the world from more of a traditional cultural standpoint, like what we what we think these countries are like, what we think these countries have. But a lot of it is a lot of history. The more I started researching into the countries, fun fact, a lot of the pavilions themselves are 
kind of like that hodgepodge of the country itself. Like you have a little bit of architecture here from this region, a little bit of architecture here from that region. And there's a bunch of Easter eggs where it's just like, oh, did you know that this statue actually exists in this country? And this is what it represents. So it is a really mm. nice, like, overall introduction to the country. I think what honestly, for me personally, mm -hmm. made me appreciate the countries on another level was that kinship with the people I met there. Because then I really got to learn about the countries on a whole nother level to where like, oh, this building does exist over there. And they told me where I can find it. So I think it really has influenced my my views of the world and the views of the countries. Um, but definitely the people themselves have made it way more special. I think you're absolutely right in in that if you work there or if you go there on all your days off yep. like we did, <laughs> you you get a different view than just regular guests because it, it is the people. It was those people that I met on that first day. I'm actually still friends with many of them. I, in fact, you remember. Yeah, I was going to ask about Chow Chow. Do you still talk to her? I saw her in January of no 2020. Way! Yes, wait, she works in Macau. And I was visiting Macau and I was like, hey, you want to meet up? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she was such a wonderful friend and influence. Like all the people, I loved meeting you because I had kind of already established my love of Epcot and then I met you and like you, we knew a lot of mm -hmm. people. That's how the DC program works. <laughs> and, then we, and then we would just go from country to country to country and visit all yep. of our friends. I, I loved, loved it. it. It was kind of like a fantasy for us where it was like you're traveling from country to country and you're literally meeting your friends in these countries. Yes. Yep. I still talk to a lot of them too to this very day. Like we literally just were chatting like a week or so ago. Like I have my friend um Rufus from the UK, my friend Ragnar from uh, Norway, and several others that I just like regularly speak to. And it's just like, do you remember the Disney days? Oh, yeah. All of that. That is so great. I, I love that so much. I wanted to ask you, have you traveled abroad much? And has that affected how you experience Epcot? I have traveled quite a bit. Back in 98, my family took a very big trip where we went to Germany. And we visited some friends, um, stayed there, and then we took a day trip to Austria to see where they filmed The Sound of Music. It was The Sound of Music tour. When I came back, I remember seeing like Germany and the countries themselves. And again, it was like, this is a very unique way to look at Germany, but it's definitely more of the old world. It's definitely more of the Bavarian influence, very regional focused. But I, I definitely feel that over the years, traveling abroad, and then coming back and seeing the countries themselves, it feels very romanticized in a, in a good way, but it's mm -hmm. very romanticized. Like it's, it's mm -hmm. like, if you go to, I'm trying to think of an example, like you go to France, for example, of course the France pavilion is Paris focused. So almost everything in that pavilion represents Paris. You go to the real Paris and yeah, the architecture is there. But there's also a lot of graffiti. There's a lot of like things going on there. It's a city. So, and it's very diverse. I feel that it gives a nice introduction, like I was mentioning earlier to these countries, but I almost feel that it is very much more like what Americans think these countries are like. There's definitely a feeling of like, this is what our ideal world would be. Like I know um, a little bit of a history with Epcot, 
Walt Disney originally intended that entire park to be an actual living society. Like it was supposedly designed to where you had one layer that was a park where no no cars drove on. It was completely open. And then underneath is where like the cars would be. And underneath that would be where the trucks go. So it was like a multi-layered community. His view of what that was is very much a world unity kind of vibe. You had the pavilions and the original sketches. In fact, what Epcot is now is definitely not what Walt Disney intended back then. But it's really awesome for what it is. I'm awfully biased about Epcot, but it's really awesome for what it is now. But it is very much a world unity kind of uh, vibe place. We have all the countries and the cultures coming together around this big lake. And it's very emotion driven when you see the illuminations. I still tear every single time when I watch Reflections of Earth. Like they've changed it since. I'm not crazy (laughs) about the new fireworks show. That's just me. But yeah, I think World Showcase itself just helps the introduction to the countries but it definitely is very much more of that romanticized version of what we think the countries really are like over there. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but at the same time, I feel that it would be good for us outside of the Epcot world to kind of learn more about these countries. So when we go in, we're like, we can appreciate this, but there's more to it, if that makes any sense. Oh, you said it beautifully. I I love what you said, that it's a great introduction Because I love Epcot, you know, I watch lots of things about it and stuff. And a major criticism is a lot of people who are very well-traveled will go to Epcot and be like, and this is really touristy. This doesn't actually represent the countries. I have traveled Mm -hmm. a little bit more now and I can see that. But why Epcot is so precious to me is I went in blind. I, you know, I come from the (laughs) Midwest. (laughs) And and so Epcot really was like my introduction to the world in kind of a safe Disney way. In my mind now, I call the whole Disney experience Disney's halfway house for dreamers. Mm. <laughs> of it's like I I was so young and my family did not do international traveling when I was a kid. So that was a really kind of almost like a scary mm-hmm. idea. And Epcot was the perfect level for me of it was exciting and adventurous and different and it led me into literally actually becoming a world traveler so I feel like for me it was the perfect gateway into the world but I could totally understand how someone who who has done a lot of traveling would go there and be like, yeah, I can totally understand that and respect it. And also even from, we actually, oddly enough, had this conversation because again, I worked in world showcase. I worked at the Kim possible world showcase adventure, which no longer exists. And the whole attraction was sending guests to the countries to find clues to quote, save the world. Because I was in the attractions uh, staff, I, or cast members, I of course also got to know the other countries and their cast members because the attractions were on their own playing field, as as we probably remember. And we've had in-depth conversations about our countries. And I think that was the biggest thing that I really remember that I appreciate the most is that even from them, they're like, this is very much like what, Amer- like very specifically, they're like what Americans think our countries are. And from what I gathered, it wasn't so much that it was an insult. It's just, it's like, it's very much like you go to Japan, you'll see the pagodas. You go to Mexico, you're going to see the pyramids. You go to, and it's kind of like, like, like you said earlier, it's, it's a very 
Americans dream touristy vibe of the place. And it's not terrible, but I have my own feelings that there's ways that they could improve it to make it more sustainable. But that's just me personally. But like I said, I do agree. Like when you travel abroad and you go to the countries themselves, it definitely doesn't feel like the Epcot World Showcase. I, I think it really helps for like young children. But then when you get to a certain age, it's like you want more authenticity and younger people especially crave authenticity. Mm. Like we see straight through BS and we're like, we need it to be more real. Given the state of the world and everything, I will also say though that there are some times where the countries themselves seem to want to lean more into stereotypes. That's up for its own conversation on its own. But overall, it is like like we like we pretty much were saying, it feels like it's a very nice introduction. It's definitely not like in depth, but yeah. And it's the people that make it deeper. It's totally, and I'm I'm jealous that you got to work there and have those conversations. Like, what a precious it was experience. absolutely touching. And like I said, to this day, I still reminiscent about that because I, I'll be very honest. Like, the countries themselves were great, but when I got to know the people, it felt real. Like to this day, we still talk every once in a while. We actually had during the pandemic, we had a. Uh, mini reunion for the cast members and we just kind of chatted invited a few people we definitely got to do another one i am totally down for that but we had actual real in-depth conversations i remember talking about political issues in our countries talking about social justice issues mm, talking about mm-hmm. education and healthcare, and like things that are very heavy but it just felt so deep yeah. to being able to sit. Like, I remember sitting at a dinner table and I was able to talk to like a friend from Norway and a friend from the UK, a friend from China, a friend from over here. And it was almost like a mini United Nations conversation where we were able to have very sustenant conversations. This is the kind of stuff that I crave. So being able to be yes. like, <laughs> to this day, my, my buddy uh, Ragnar over in Norway, we would talk all the time about like, Here's what's happening in the U.S. Here's that over over there. And we were talking back and forth. And it gives much more of a worldview of things. And it was so refreshing to have that critique from the outside, from other countries, being able to look at us and be like, why are you debating over things like this? This should just be net. And it's like, well, I can't speak for everyone. But <laughs> so it felt like the people honestly made Epcot for me. Like that really is what made it extra special. Oh, yes. And I think that's what like instilled in me the desire for more authenticity. We know it's it's beautiful architecture, but we know it was it's Mm -hmm. made by Disney. But the people it's like, but you actually come from this Mm -hmm. other place that keeps like leading me deeper and deeper into these international uh, experiences. (laughs) You know, I had never met anyone mm-hmm. from China before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Up until my first college <laughs> program, most international people I know now, I never met. I grew up in a Midwest town, like an hour outside of Detroit. So I totally understand. I'm way out in like the suburb boonies. So like meeting someone from Norway, meeting somebody from like the UK, that was like groundbreaking. <laughs> Yes, yes. I I don't know about you, but a lot of my friends from Epcot just thought I was hilarious because I hadn't met anyone out of the U. Or I I had met some people out of the U.S., but not many. And it was always very, it was a really special experience. 
anytime I met someone from a different country, like I, I remember being a child and meeting someone from a different country. And that was a huge deal to me because I'm from the Midwest and I just don't, I hadn't met a lot of people outside of Mm -hmm. my little culture. (laughs) Yeah, that's totally valid because given our history without going to a whole history spiel, our country was pretty much designed to keep people isolated. I mean, that's kind of the whole history of how it was set up and designed. I mean, granted, you had your cities where there was a lot of people in close proximity for the obvious. But once you started getting to the Midwest, everything is so spaced out. Like, it's so common to hear stories of people like, yes, I got to drive like an hour and a half to get groceries. And it's like, what? So being able to have those conversations with people from other countries and sharing our views and being able to respect each other and such, it's just like it added that extra world unity vibe that I think we all really desperately crave. And that's like the biggest thing that I was always drawn to with Epcot is that it felt like World Showcase specifically, I know I'm mostly talking about World Showcase, it feels like it is the ideal world where everyone is kind of like a mosaic. Mm -hmm. Every single country is its own country, Mm -hmm. but they make a bigger picture together. It feels that it's definitely a sign of hope kind of a feeling. Like the World Showcase entire entity is a very, we hope one day this is what we want. But I think what makes it more stronger is just getting to know those people because we're in an era where we got to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And there were conversations I remember having with people that I was just like, this is really uncomfortable. Or there was culture shocks. Like there were certain things Mm. like, don't hug me. I'm not Mm. used to this. Or, oh, don't stand too close to me. Or don't point the fingers this way or that way. And it, it made us realize like, to us in our American minds, we're like, oh, well, if we go to these places, we just act this way. And it's like, no, you don't. You're, you're in someone else's essential home. So please respect the way that they want to be respected. I had that encounter multiple times with other cast members where it's like, oh, I am very much screaming as an American right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> but it's very humbling. It really is. Like when, when they're able to be like, look, Yes. When this happened, this is a little awkward. And it's like, you're American, I get it. But, and it's like, ah, okay, (laughs) (laughs) worldview. I do appreciate from all the international friends that I met while I was at Disney and since, so many people are very graceful and compassionate towards my ignorance. I feel so honored and humbled that, yeah, I think Americans can be kind of isolated in our own culture and we're so big and we don't really have to think about international things, whereas smaller Mm -hmm. countries who have to deal, you know, they have to deal with things a lot more or just other countries are more aware of American economics and politics and stuff because it affects them. But I, I, I am always very humbled and honored when those people take me where I am in my ignorance and gently teach me. I had so many times where later I would go, oh, that was kind of rude of me or I could have handled that better and the people involved just handled my ignorance with such grace it was it was very much like looking back on both college programs there are times where I'm just like I really wish I didn't do that or I really wish I didn't say that or I really wish that and it's just kind of like well to be fair 
that was my first introduction to people from other countries. I mean, yeah. like it really was because you and I met in 2008. <laughs> so that was, I was technically yeah. almost fresh out of high school because <laughs> I graduated in 06. So I was just like, I was still new to the whole world. So I was just kind of like, whoa, I've studied these. I always joke that out of all the Disney princesses, Errol has always been one of the ones that I can relate to the most, not on morals, but like on like passion for people. People have joked that yes. my room looks exactly <laughs> yes. like a grotto. Like I have things from all over the world because I've studied this kind of stuff my entire life. But then when you meet people from other countries, it's like, <gasps> tell me stuff. <laughs> yes, yes. It's like that. the scenes where Ariel's just kind of like, oh, look at that human. I kind of always felt the same way. Like my partner Joe yes. jokes to me about that kind of stuff. Where it's like, if you met an actual celebrity, you would be like, oh, okay, hey, how's it going? Oh, you were that actor in that film? Cool. But then I meet like so-and-so who just came off the plane from London. Tell me about your world. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is this why, is we're, why friends. we're friends and i try my best not to show that because it's just like that can be overwhelming but i get so excited for the like just for regular people i get more excited over that because people have a story yes. in fact i've heard a joke yes. about especially during pandemic people are not npcs <laughs> so for gamers, they mm. get what that means. And it's like, yes. yeah, everyone has their own stories. They have their own history. They have their own lived experiences. And I think that's the thing that I cherish so deeply about Epcot in particular. I mean, of course, Disney across the board, because you got people from all over the world working there. But Epcot in particular, it like takes that and focuses on it. Like if you go to Magic Kingdom and other places, yeah, you can have that worldview. But it's still the theming that surrounds both of you is still fantasy land or kilimanjaro safari or whatever but when you are in world showcase very specifically it's almost like you can't ignore your cultures because you're surrounded by it consistently so you would have conversations all the time with people if not with you then with guests and it kind of for forced that worldly conversation view onto the guests as well as the cast members and when you work there you got an even more almost like a behind the scenes special where you get to actually debate stuff and like have in-depth conversations <laughs> and ah i miss that so much <laughs> so mm -hmm. now i have a question that i'm very curious about since we've already discussed about why why we love mm -hmm. world showcase so so much Disney's changing some things, and I'm calling it the Disneyfication yeah. of Epcot, which is they're bringing more of the Disney franchise things into World Showcase. So, like before, they had the characters. So, like Snow White is in Germany, and Jasmine and Aladdin are in Morocco. But now, in the French, did I just say in the French? In the <laughs> France pavilion. I, I promise I speak English sometimes. In the, in the France pavilion, they're opening a Ratatouille ride. I've been wanting to commiserate with you on this. They changed mm -hmm. the Maelstrom to Frozen. Over the back, falls. Back, over the <laughs> I have falls. a joke with a yes. friend of mine. Um <laughs> <laughs> that I made the joke because we have a joke that I don't normally go to Magic Kingdom that much. And I made a joke one time when we were on the program and go, hey, I'm actually at Magic Kingdom. And then they hear in the background, back, back, over the falls. And they're like, you're at Epcot. <laughs> yep. 
what what do you think about the disneyfication Ooh, of world showcase okay so i've noticed that when it comes to fans of disney there's those couple different camps you have the people who are for it people who are against it and people who are kind of in between i lean very much on the neutral disagree side However, I will say I understand that Disney needs to make money. They need to bring more people into Epcot and into World Showcase because, to be fair, if you take anything that's Disney out of World Showcase, there's not a lot for kids' kids. There, it, It's very much like you can meet and greet the characters, but other than that, it's very much more of a educational, cultural experience, which unless the kids get kind of raised around that, which my kids will, <laughs> they they may come into it being like, well, this just feels like a very glorified museum. So I understand that for Disney, they need to make the money. So we can just zero in for an example, like with Maelstrom versus Frozen. So when Maelstrom turned into Frozen, I get the feeling they really wanted it to become more like, hey, we want kids to line up. We want kids to spend money. Well, their parents to spend the money at Norway, we need to get more butts into Epcot. I get it from a business standpoint. My only issue that I do have, and they've done this relatively well, but I feel like there's ways that we can kind of up it just a little bit more, is with Maelstrom, it focused on Norway, the country, the culture, its history. Granted, the film was horrendously dated, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I remember talking to someone from Norway and people literally like, uh, you know, we Americans, people got off the ride and were like, do you guys still think it's the 1980s over there? And they're like, it is not. Oh. So I remember uh, having a conversation with somebody. They're like, do you still use those like 1980s Apple computers? And I was like, yeah. Oh my goodness. So many of those films were really outdated, but they were interesting. Like, Oh, I, I love the really French one. The French uh, one. Such great cinematography. But ah. um, I feel that when they did this with Frozen, on one hand, like I said, I get they need to make the money. On the other hand, Norway has quickly become Arendelle. Like it literally is starting to become to the point where it's like Mexico, yeah. Arendelle, China. And it's like, it's kind of a bit, and again, I'm just speaking from mm. my personal opinion. It, it gives me a very yuck vibe where it's kind of like, yes, you want Disney in here, but at the same time, it's almost kind of like, but isn't the point to kind of put the country front and center? So it's like what they did right was inside of the Stave Church, they have like replicas of the mythology, the Norse mythology, the clothes, the rose modeling, which is the type of pattern that you see throughout the entire film that is known in Norway. And they treat it kind of like a little mini museum. Like, this is the culture. This is the Sami people. This is all this. And we're putting it on display to show and educate people. This is what inspired the movie Frozen. However, it just feels that it's slowly but surely starting to fall away from Norway and quickly becoming an Arendelle exhibit. Like, the character and the cast members, I can already foresee their costumes changing from traditional Norwegian regalia and garb, turning into... Arendelle influenced outfits like it's such a weird yuck factor to where it's kind of like I very much miss Maelstrom I am definitely one of those people who are like big fans of that ride I don't know it just feels like it's just like it's not it's not Norway anymore it feels like it really is much like welcome to Arendelle it's not Norway it's just Arendelle 
I don't know. I feel like there's ways that they could up the culture a little bit more. Like if they wanted to go that route, then go all in. Like have maybe more more representatives there or maybe some sort of a special event there that focuses on something that's Norwegian focused. Maybe in the restaurant serving more traditional region foods and that little maybe a, a bit of a description on the dishes. I don't know. There's ways that they could still do that, but I can understand why they needed to change Maelstrom into the Frozen Rhine purely just to get money in there. But it, it's it, it's kind of starting to lose its charm. But that's specifically talking about Norway. I know with Mexico, they talked about turning that into a cocoa ride, which I can respect that because that can, can go hand in yeah. hand. Yeah. Um, Ratatouille's ride, I know is coming over from Disneyland Paris. I can kind of see that too. But I feel overall, and I know this is a very long answer because it is a very multi-layered um, view of this. On one hand, I get why Disney's Disneyfying everything, why they're Disneyfication of everything, which kudos to that term. But on the other hand, my concern is, and I'm going to just be blunt because I don't know any other way to word it. It's just going to start feeling like it's selling out. It's like, this is the world, but Disney's first, the culture second. And I think there's ways that they can balance mm. both to where it's not so diverged away from the culture to where it's like, welcome to Arendelle, not Norway. For example, um, I'm trying to think, like if they revamped the the Chinese film, maybe put Mulan and Mushu in there mm, kind of mm -hmm. a thing, and they focus <laughs> a lot on the culture in the video because a lot of people did love Mulan, not the live action, but the original. I could see something like that where it's like, you got your character, but they're hosting. Yeah. This is the country. Yeah. This is the culture. Um, kind of like what, what uh, Martin Short did for Canada. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's, that's a yes. much nicer balance where it's like teaching people something about the country and the cultures and the people. But at the same time, you you got your Disney character in the view. I think that's just the only thing that kind of worries me is that over time it would just start feeling more and more sellouty, where it's just kind of like this is not so much about the culture anymore in the country; it's becoming more about selling products in Disney. I have a thought too. I really like what you said about being in different cultures sometimes makes you feel uncomfortable. And I feel like the Maelstrom in its weird, <laughs> it really that was a was. weird ride. It's disjointed. It's weird. Like what? Um, but it kind of made you feel uncomfortable because you were coming up against some <laughs> piece of culture. <laughs> And and it's not perfect, and and I'm sure that the people who worked the Norway ride were oh, like, yeah. oh my god, this is my worry about the Disneyfication is that Disney is much more comfortable than actual different cultures, and I felt like the Magic Kingdom was magic because it was fantasy and it was Disney and it was all those things that I felt comfortable with, and Epcot had a different brand of magic in that it was putting me in situations and up against things that were just different and like the Maelstrom kind of weird and like, okay, that was yeah, different. Yeah, I completely 100% agree. I feel like <laughs> Epcot itself and World Showcase itself, to be point blank, felt more like an adult park, even as a kid. It felt like it was designed, if it was yes. from an advertising perspective, it feels like if they were talking about their target demographics, it really feels like it was more marketed to teens and up, like more adults, especially during food and wine. Mm -hmm. 
but it feels like it was a more, well, yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to use this word very loosely here. Cause again, I don't want to just like throw terms around, but it feels more like a very mature park. Like magic kingdom was for the children, the mm-hmm. young ones, the kids and the families. Animal Kingdom feels like it's a little bit step up from that, where it's a little bit more adults, but it's for the animal lovers. But it still had the it still had the Disney magic. Hollywood Studios feels like that's definitely more in the. It definitely feels more mature. Like it, it feels like looking back on some of the rising attractions there, it definitely was more marketed to maybe more like older kids. But Epcot in particular feels like it was always marketed to like adults. It always just feels like it wants to be marketed to adults, but they know they got to make money with the kids. So you can kind of see that where it's like if Disney Mm. went all in and decided to be like, you know what? We don't need any Disney here at Epcot. Then the adults can go and enjoy it, but then they lose that demographics of the kids, which is what Disney's all about. But it feels that right now you can kind of get the vibe that they're trying to still cater to the adults, but it also tries to be like child friendly. So it's this weird balancing act where it's like, I want, it's like, it's almost like a little kid that's like, I'm almost doing an an adult, but I'm not. (laughs) So it feels kind of like it's in that limbo phase where it's kind (laughs) of like, like we're saying with Disneyfication, it feels like it is knowing that they need to make money for the sake of the kids, but at the same time, they have to also sacrifice the cultural significance of what the park was. I mean, like I said, Walt Disney himself, None of none of this park was what his plan was. It wasn't even supposed to be a park, but it was supposed to be this significant global cultural vibe kind of place and where people come together from all walks of life. He never once mentioned anything about putting Frozen in in Norway or putting Ratatouille in France. So it, right. it, even at the original pitch from Walt Disney himself felt like it was very much like even he understood that he's like, we want this to be a community-focused place i don't know it just just feels like with disney there's ways that they can do both but it's almost kind of like you know it's not going to bring the money in slap some mouse ears on it and call it a day you know like yeah yeah i have not seen the new show is it it's called called epcot forever if i'm not mistaken i saw it when they um premiered it i watched it through a couple youtube channels because they were live streaming it yeah, that's how that's how I ended up seeing it. It was Epcot Forever, and it's supposed to be an homage to Epcot from the past to the present. Oh, okay. So its focus is even different than Illuminations, because I felt like yeah. Illuminations makes me cry too. Uh, it it felt like the perfect way to end a day being in the World Showcase. <laughs> My favorite parts of Illumination. Is from the very beginning when you hear you hear the we gather around the fire to tell stories, and that is something all cultures share. And then the huge fire barge, which is just awesome, and then it 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 ends with the globe. And I I videotaped a lot of that because it mean, it meant so much to me. And and it it has this huge globe in the middle of the lake showing not Disney stuff, but videos of people holding hands with their children and walking across deserts and cutting fruit. And there was just something so fitting to that. you're making me tear. Um, No, no, no. You said it so beautifully and so eloquently because it's just kind of like, that's exactly (laughs) what I'm talking about. When I say the Disneyfication of Epcot I get it, but it feels so much more hollow now than it once did 
because Illuminations, like you said, it wraps it up in such mm -hmm. a nice way where it's like, that's a great way to end the day where it's like, it's an entire homage to the people of the world. That's what it really is. It's an homage to the people of the world, yes. not to Disney's corporation. <laughs> and Epcot Forever, bit of a spoiler, it's an homage to Epcot itself from the past to the present. On one hand, I would totally be down for this if it was for, like, say, a special event. Like, oh, for the month of whatever, it's Epcot's 1,000th mm -hmm. anniversary. I know that's ridiculous. But, like, something like that. <laughs> It's been around for a thousand years. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that makes sense. But the problem I have when I watched it is a lot, like more than half of that firework display, kids will not understand it. And the reason why I say that is it gives homage to rides and shows that have been gone for decades now. One of the songs that they play on there was something from Food Rocks which was from the Land Pavilion back in 1980s into the early 1990s. There was also a song in there from Figment. That ride's been gone as well. So a lot of the references, only oh. the adults will understand. But the kids are going to sit there and be like, I don't know what they're singing about. And it also, again, this is just my personal opinion, it's very tone-odd. That's a weird way to word it. It's very tonal-issued. Because yeah. you're standing in the, like, looking at this way, you're standing at night, and it's like a crisp season evening. It's nice and warm. You're wearing a light jacket. And with reflections of Earth, you hear the booming voice. And it's like, we've gathered here tonight around the fire. And you feel like something is about to happen. And then all the torches get lit. And you have this big glow coming out. And the barge and everything is just like, and everything just lights up like a Christmas tree to where I, I got to become friends with some of the firework guys because I worked there. They would shoot off what they call the 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 daylight fireworks near the very end where they're so bright that it's like daylight. And it just feels like you get the sense of hope and it's about the mm. earth and everything. Mm -hmm. But now the feeling is same thing. You go out there, crisp night, everything is wonderful. You see all the countries, they're all beautifully lit up. And all of a sudden you hear a Food Rocks theme song. And it's like this tone is really weird. Oh. <laughs> and it's like very like children like they sing imagination stuff that that's like again rides that don't exist anymore and then they threw in a whole new world in there which really bothered me where i'm just like that's weird yeah, yeah. Talk about when i when i finished watching it i felt weird. actually sad because i was like what happened like reflections of was amazing i don't expect it to last forever because it was supposed to be for the millennium celebration but update it maybe add another message change the songs that big orchestra there, there was this grandness about that firework display that made you feel welcomed and even for kids like that's the thing that we keep forgetting is that kids aren't stupid they can appreciate that same stuff like adults just give it to them yes. but instead they went with the popping yes. noises and the whirly sounds and the child-friendly like stuff from the past and it's just like oh this is just it, it just it made me feel very yucky at the end of that firework display the only part that i really got emotional over was when they did the homage to tapestry of nations so in 2000 they had a they used to have a parade that went around mm. and they would sing the tapestry of nations theme song there were these giant puppets that would come down and like you would dance with them and all that kind of cool stuff and that was a cool homage because that was a very big turning point for epcot but other than that, the rest of it just felt very cheap, very much like it was a cash grab, point blank. It, it really felt like it was much mm. like a, hey, you love Epcot? 
Well, here is some future world references in World Showcase. Okay, so yeah. so <laughs> smooth transition here. Sorry, I talked. We've a lot. already. <laughs> no, no, you're you're brilliant. Like this is amazing. This is exactly where I was like, I need <laughs> yeah. to talk about Epcot with one Me. person. And I, I even know have a recreation replica plaque of the trash can <laughs> stuff from my room. <laughs> okay, this is how obsessed we are, and how much how great a friend Dan is like before illuminations, there's all this special music that plays and it's, it's really cool music. He researched and found all of those songs and sent me a CD, which I still own and listen to. And thank you so much. Anyway, moving from what you just said, if it feels like a cash grab and kind of future world oriented, I want to talk about future world because we've already mentioned that Epcot Mm -hmm was not supposed to be what it is today. Uh, Walt Disney had planned the experimental prototype community yep. of tomorrow, and then he died. And so they didn't really know what to do. And they're like, well, let's make a theme park. We know how to do that. So it, in some ways, I feel like Epcot is really disjointed because it is literally divided in half. The front half is future world. And the second half is the World Showcase. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about Future World. We're, we've both already said we're not super into it. The only reason I stay in Future mm, World Soren. for any amount yes. of time is to go on Soren, And that's about it. And they have had a lot of different rides that have come and gone. It feels like Future World, and maybe mm-hmm. because it is Future World, is always in flux. And then the World Showcase to me was always the anchor, always the real reason I was going. But what do you think of just Epcot as a non-cohesive park? Like, does it work? What? Yeah, absolutely. That's a very, very good question, actually, because (laughs) you're right, because the original plan was completely different, as we mentioned. And what it is now, it feels like two separate parks. There's like a, a like when you go across what's called that international gateway, there's one in the front and one that's between France and the UK. It feels very disjointed, like you go from the future and then you go into World Showcase, where it's supposed to be about cultures of the world. I feel personally that after working there, because again, now I'm speaking completely from a cast member who used to work over there, it feels that it is very much disjointed. At the time that I worked there, it was supposed to be the refurbishment year because it was kind of like the joke that we had was it's the future according to the 1980s. So it it still had a yeah <laughs> bit of a very dated vibe to it like the architecture i don't want to say the music because the music is kind of dated but it's also very timeless so i'm not going to i'm not going to touch that one but you can tell that there was a lot of limbo going on and also the problem was is and i ended up learning about this as well there was a lot of vacant spots a lot of empty buildings, a lot of empty spaces. And a lot of that was because it was around the time when um, they were putting a lot of money into revamping the Magic Kingdom in that new princess area. So all the money that was supposed to go into Epcot, now granted, I can't quote that for sure, but at least at the time that I was told, most of the money went into that project. And Epcot kind of still sat there in this weird limbo where it's kind of like, what are we? So Future World itself, Soren is definitely one that I like to go to. They actually updated it to be Soren around the world now, which I feel is a lot more appropriate because Soren over California in Florida was a little weird to me. 
But the Soren in California makes more <laughs> sense. But Soren of the World works there. Other than Soren, I used to love the Living Seas when it was the Living Seas. Then it became Nemo and Friends, and it kind of lost. It that got very much Disney Disneyfication, which I love that term. It definitely the Disneyfication definitely hit hard because I missed the <laughs> Living Seas because it focused again on the ocean. Now it was more like Nemo and Friends. And then the land pavilion, oh man, that yeah, <laughs> it's changed over the years is drastic. <laughs> so I, I feel that yeah, future old I don't know. I, I I almost want to say they should be two separate parks, but I can see how if World Showcase was on its own, I'm gonna be point blank. I'm just gonna be very blunt. Americans don't get taught enough about foreign cultures to where we are taught to care about other countries and cultures. I think that's where the disconnect would be. If World Showcase was separate, their main demographic would be Americans. I mean, yeah, they get people from all over the world, but predominantly it's Americans because it's in America. I don't think they would be able to pull people into World Showcase mm-hmm. as easily if that was their only reasoning. Future World feels like it is separate where they advertise it as this is the future in our in our view, the the innovations in the future, and then the pa- and the world showcase is supposed to be the past. It really feels disjointed because it's like Future World is trying to show innovation. The the land ride, I really do like the land ride shows like innovative ways to make crops and stuff like that. I feel like those rides are appropriate because it works because it talks about both the cultures themselves because there's a part of the land ride, listen to the land, where they talk about, in this country we do this, in this country we do that, where it ties both of them together. But when you get on like Test Track and you go mm-hmm. on Mission to Mars, it has nothing to do with the <laughs> Earth. It's just yeah. <laughs> there. <laughs> like Something I've thought about is like the whole concept of a future world is so difficult to maintain because the future is always changing and then it gets stuck if you can't, if they can't afford yeah. to update it, then it's near the future according to the 80s. I feel like I think, it's just in my personal opinion, if I had the power theme. to make the changes <laughs> to Epcot. One, I would add more countries. That's just me. There's, I found out there's a lot of plots of land that could have countries, but that's a whole different conversation. But also, I would try to tie the two worlds together. Like, if they have test track, which they do, why not teach people about the different brands that are out there? I know it's funded by, I think it's by GM, but it might be by someone else now. So they Ooh. probably would be up in arms with the idea of, like, why would we want to advertise Subaru? But I think that would be kind of cool to tie in to say, well... Either here's the history mm. of Motion, which was an old ride that was really cool. That was a little bit before my time, may it rest in peace. But they could update that to where it's like, okay, these are some of the cars that are in other countries that they use. Here are some of the innovations that were invented in other countries. When it came to the Lamp of Van, like I showed there, they showed in this country, we harvest this way. In that country, we harvest that way. In the innovation section, which was always constantly changing, there was always a lot of really weird interactive games in those areas. But now I think it's vacant, sadly, on both sides because it's innovations west and east. I think what would be really cool is tying more into like inventions and activities that include the rest of the world. Like Now we have all this technology to where, who knows, maybe they could do something like I'm just literally throwing something out there, like an interactive, like talk to a person from this country thing or something. I don't know. Like 
tying more into that, how do we connect innovation to the rest of the world is what I'm kind of getting at, where it's like, there's so much of that opportunity that they could tie the cultures to the people and their innovations and their creations and be like, hey, this is a new thing that they're doing in this country. And then you go to World Showcase and you learn about the past. So, yeah. It's just a... <laughs> uh, it's weird, but I love it. <laughs> I, I do love Future World a lot less. Yeah. It's but... kind of like an obstruction <laughs> to getting to the World Showcase of like... Yeah, yeah, yeah that's kind of what it felt like. It was, you know, was kind of like, other than Spaceship Earth, on. it just felt like, <laughs> okay, I see it. Now I'm going to hike over to World yes. Showcase, which I'm understanding they're updating that ride, which I'm kind of excited to see what they're going to do. Oh, that would be exciting. Cool. Okay, so I found a really cool YouTube series. Yeah. I will post the link That's in the okay. description. I was going to send it to you. This channel, Yesterworld, I love Yesterworld. is by this, and he goes through. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, I should have known. But anyway, he does mm -hmm. a really great in-depth thing on Epcot. And hearing all the countries that were originally planned, it like it the makes Philippines me drool. Was one. Like, ah, ah, I wish we could have had that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I understand. Like, there's yep. it's, it's complicated because there's money involved and there's politics involved and there was a lot of things and it's like I under you know watching the thing. I understand why this happened and we didn't get these countries. But I wanted to ask you, Dan, in a perfect world where we could get all the countries, I mean, we would want all of them. Oh, boy. You're you asking me the big one. Okay. I'm rolling up my sleeves because I'm ready for that question. I <laughs> so, Because I've literally given it years thoughts of like, I even like start sketching up made up countries and stuff like that just because I'm like, I want to see others. So... I'm going to be very, I'm going to go on a limb and just kind of be very forward about this. Backtrack real quickly with Spaceship Earth and with World Showcase. It's very Eurocentric. <laughs> There's a, out of the 11 countries, if I'm not mistaken, like six of them, I think, are European <laughs> countries. I get it. They, they need to make the money and Americans love to travel to Europe. But we live on a planet with other countries too. So I feel like if I was to say what countries would I want mm -hmm. in there, I would love to see, I would love to see what they would do with that Filipino one. Like I saw the concept sketches. I would love to see that. But then again, I am very biased mm -hmm. of that one because I'm Filipino. I would love to see Egypt. I would love to see India. I know some people have argued, well, they got a whole theme park. Mm. Well, it's like, yes and no. It's kind of a hodgepodge. Anandapur is kind of like a mixture of everything. But one specifically to India would be really cool. Um, I've seen concept sketches of Australia. Australia would be really, really cool. I've seen an announcement. I don't know if it's official or not, but they were thinking of making Brazil, which I think that's smart marketing. And also that would just be amazing. That would be amazing. Oh. I do love the equatorial Africa that concept that they had. I personally would probably be more like maybe focus on one country. Like what if they did just South Africa or what if they did Nigeria? That would be incredible. Yeah. I seen the concept sketches for Russia. That would be beautiful. I know. That's what made me sad is like they had so much material for the Russian one yeah. and like they were advertising it. I did not know how far they got with that. I know. And then it, it just didn't happen. And it was like, oh my 
that's Thailand would I be amazing too. Like I'm thinking about the unique architectural sad. places, and I feel like that would be incredible. Wow. But yeah, I think those are probably yeah. some of the highlights. I mean, I could go in forever about what other countries I would love to see, but that would be amazing. Like seeing a Nigeria one, a South Africa one, the Thailand one, the Philippine one, Brazil, yeah. Australia, Russia. The thing that always drew me about Epcot was the architectural styles because they were you could tell they were very uniquely different. And I think that's what makes yes. them really stand out. It would be really cool to see another Middle Eastern one because I know that um, when the Millennium Village came into play for the 2000 celebration, they included a bunch of other countries in that pavilion itself. Um, they had South Korea in there. Um, Israel was in there. Mm. And I'm trying to think of what else would be really cool. It would be cool to see like Jordan there. There's a lot that I would just love to see to just kind of like expand upon the whole world and be like, well, here's everything so you don't have to clump it all in. <laughs> <laughs> So basically, if there was an Epcot that had every single country, Dan and I would go. And, I mean, we would live there. And yeah, every we would. We would country. very much go from country to country forever. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I, and also, I wanted to ask you about your opinion about the American Pavilion. Now, obviously, with every country it's we've noticed it tends to be old style and how do you represent a country in like this little plot with all the different people and the different things and the food and so the american pavilion mm -hmm. and well the american um, adventure i think it kind of works for what it's supposed to be because it's supposed to be about like america's heritage um when i watched i think yesterworld's video or it might have been defunct land there was a couple that did some really good research on the on that pavilion it's inspired by a couple of different buildings on the east coast and the country's history and i know recently they updated their costumes there to where it's supposed to be now like 1940s style because it used to be the 1700s then they upped it up yep they they changed their costumes yeah. so i kind of get it i think overall the pavilion itself it kind of works in the sense of like this is america's history but I would openly say this, and I might be, again, I'm just, I'm just going out on a limb, just literally speaking my opinion. I feel that it's still very much leaving the conversation out for a lot of Americans. And what I mean by that is when you go in there, it's very much like a textbook mm. to textbook American history pavilion. Outside of Disney, I'm very much involved with a lot of different organizations and different multicultural orgs and nonprofits and stuff. And I feel that right now with America, we're questioning ourselves of who are we? We were taught very much this textbook America history. Like they came mm -hmm. over on the Mayflower. They had a war with Britain. They did this and that and this and that. And now we live in America. Yay. But as we're learning more of our own history, America is not clean. It, it has a very dark history and it all depends on who you talk to and it all depends on who gets affected and impacted because to this day, we still live in the shadows of our history. So I feel with the American pavilion, there's opportunities to where it could showcase mm -hmm. and celebrate the diversity of America where sure you have your, there's a museum section off to the right, I believe if I remember correctly when you walk in and it's like showing some exhibits of America's history. And then you go up the elevator to go into the theater and it shows all the flags of the past. 
if I had full control of that pavilion, I feel I would amplify the diversity of America more. And even to the show itself, because again, I'm glad they included mm-hmm. Chief Joseph's speech in there. They mentioned mm-hmm. about the slave era in there, but it still felt very much a textbook America's views kind of thing. Now, I, I totally understand they don't want to necessarily hit on every single thing because they'll be there forever. But I feel that they need to kind of acknowledge because <laughs> kids, again, I like I keep saying this, kids aren't stupid. We can teach them about the good and the bad of America. I feel that they want, they should highlight mm-hmm. more of our past, more from different mm. perspectives, maybe talk more about the immigrants that came here, how they built this country, how this is a bit like on a limb, but like, yes, they acknowledge the slaves as well, because again, they didn't choose. So I'm not going to use that term there. I feel that there's so much more that they can showcase with that pavilion where it's like, we need to acknowledge that America wasn't built on this glorification of this freedom that we pushed away from England. And I know that's probably gonna make people uncomfortable, but again, we're kind of confronted with it now. I feel like if America Pavilion could be what it should be, it should be able to say, here's the story of the first wave of Asian immigrants. Here's how the Underground Railroad impacted the Mm. country. Here Mm. are some famous Black Americans who were activists to change things. Here are some Hispanic people who, and kind of showcase that in the show, showcase that in the pavilion, show more of that wide range things and teach people about that. I think there's so much opportunity to where they could highlight that and really make it more educational and a much more sustenant pavilion. Because it feels, like I said, it feels like it's basically a textbook, like a grade school textbook attraction. I get it. But the more that we're learning about our own past, especially from how information is now surfacing, it's not as glorification as what we think it is. Is that bad? Well, we weren't there, but we're still impacted by it. And I think there's opportunities for us to make that impact on a much more deeper level. That's that's my two cents about that pavilion. I feel like it it just has a lot more opportunity. Thank you for sharing that. I really like that. I I like the American adventure very much. But I'm always, I don't know, slightly unsatisfied with it. And I, I, I'm with you if like, if we went, <laughs> yeah. if it was satisfying, it would be like a seven hour long attraction. And nobody <laughs> is going to do that. It's already pretty long anyway. And I, I, I'm with you where it, it shows some of my favorite scenes are like yeah. the, the black guys sitting outside the gas station and talking about the depression and stuff. And yeah. it, it's like, it shows some of those things and then it just kind of moves along. And then I understand why it's like, Oh, we can't sit here and like go into all of that. But it, it also feels a little unsatisfying in that we have to rush to, Oh, look, and then innovation. And then I, I don't know. I always feel slightly weird of like, the World War Two segment of it starts talking about stuff yeah. And then it's like, I, I and think then when I watched the show, my problem with like, the the American Adventure show is kind of like you nailed it on the head. It feels that if I was to look at the timeline of the show, a big chunk of the show was about America's Revolution, and then they kind of just skip through World War One, World War Two up to the current era and they just kind of they completely glossed over the 1950s to the present they did that in the homage and that was about it they just kind of did a slideshow to show like see here's the lgbt fight which i'm glad they included that they showed um they always updated where they showed 9-11 they showed um barack obama 
but it always kind of felt like the cusp of the show, and I'm just going to be very blunt about it because I've learned, I'm just going to say it. It feels it's America according to white people. Mm. Well, starting with the Mayflower, yeah. And something I have learned about America and something that I think is beautiful about America Mm -hmm. is there are native peoples, but the majority of us are all immigrants. And that's actually Mm -hmm. something that's quite unique and special about America because we all have our own root places, but we're all here. So it's like, we're, we're all American. And and something that I've learned being in, um, in different countries that are more homogenous of more of this, just they immigration did not affect those countries as much is it's made me a Mm -hmm. little bit more interested in other cultures because yeah, my I think there was a quote that I saw is a conglomeration of says, If you're an American, <laughs> your ancestors are either Native American, slaves, refugees, or immigrants. That's it. And I feel that the pavilion can take that and educate the audience on a yes. much more significant yes. level. Like if they started it off with Native people, that would be incredible to say they were here. Yes, Chief Joseph seem is pretty powerful, mm. but it's like mm. just a snippet. But if they started off and said, like, they were indigenous people who were here beforehand. I mean, I'm not saying they need to go into, like, all the wars and the genocide and all that. But if they focused on the idea of America through the eyes of a diverse range of Americans, it would be so much more impactful. Like I said, like, they start off with the Native Americans. Then you get into the Mayflower. You go through that whole era. And then you can talk, talk about, like, here's a fun fact. A lot of Asian immigrants have been here since the Spanish Spanish owned half the US. They settled mostly in New Orleans and in Washington. That's part of our history we would never learn about. We're almost always taught right at the point when the English settled here. But we always forget that most of the continent was under Spanish rule. So what was going on during that time? So there's so many different perspectives that we can influence on. Right. There's so many incredible things that can really showcase America from a wide range of different groups of people. And the reason why I'm mentioning this is because what that does is it kind of makes people feel more belonging and it makes people feel more normalized. And what I mean by that is when people Mm. who like you and I understand this Mm. coming from a very Mm -hmm. like isolated communities, (laughs) when all you see of these different cultures and groups of people is through our media and TV shows, that's all that we think of. But then when, like we said earlier, when you get to talk to these people one-on-one, they have a whole different life story that has widely been excluded. And I feel that the American adventure can be amplified to where we can celebrate those experiences and be able to talk about those conversations and be able to showcase that in the show and what the pavilion stands for. Like a shout out I do admire is that during the holidays, they have special pavilions all around the Epcot. They actually have a Hanukkah one and a Kwanzaa one at the American pavilion when it's the holiday season. So they acknowledge those yeah, mm. so I feel like stuff like that they can showcase more of and that be like, great. look, American, if someone says you're an American, it's a bit more heavier question than we think. And I think that's something that would be amazing to see. I did not go see the American Adventure for a really long time because I was like, yeah. eh, I'm <laughs> yep. whatever, I want to go see Japan. <laughs> 
like I say, once I once my friend got me inside the building, I was like, oh, this is actually kind of cool. Like, wow, the American billion, the American pavilion actually has something interesting in it. But I I feel like it would make it even more attractive and interesting to me, an American, if the focus was more on. I like that quote you said of either. As an American, you are either Native American, a slave, a refugee, or an immigrant, and have that kind of be the base of we are a we are a very we're unique a, we're group the of we're people. We're all, all the mixed. <laughs> we are very, and we're still trying to figure out who we are. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Thank you and for thank you sharing for your thoughts on that. Speak about that. I, was I just really like, appreciate uh. it. <laughs> no, that's why I asked. Good you questions. Honest. I was like, very I good want questions. All interesting questions. <laughs> Dan, what do you have to plug today? So my friend Dan is very talented and has absolutely. A bunch so, of things um, to the share. first thing I'm so going to do the shout the out things. for is we are launching. So speaking about America and identity. Me and a team of about 35 of us, um, we are launching a completely grassroots level TV show. And it is both done with the intent of showing the stories of the people ourselves through the lens of a docudrama. So docudrama means it is half documentary, meaning that it is taking place during a real time with real events. But it's a drama, meaning that it's fictional characters in a fictional world. So kind of think of like the Titanic. The show that we're working on right now is a show that takes place in Michigan. It focuses mostly on a family who is biracial. The father is black, the mother is Filipino, and they have three children. They own a bubble tea shop in the suburbs, but they live in the city of Detroit. And it takes place in the midst of the 2020 pandemic. So we're thinking circa summer, fall time frame. And it hosts a wide range of a diverse cast. We have a Yemeni Muslim girl, an Ojibwe Native American Mexican guy, a Iberian Sephardic doctor, and a trans male Asian adoptee. So we have like a wide range of different people and different perspectives. And the show was founded on the belief of authenticity through humanity, meaning the representation cannot be just on the screen. They need to be in the production. So overwhelmingly, my my staff is predominantly people of color and people from marginalized communities. And again, as I was mentioning, it's completely grassroots. And we'll provide the more information. Um, I'll send over the link to our Indiegogo. It's the one place where we're going to be collecting all the money. The other plugins that I do have is there's two podcasts, one called Third Paradigm. It is going to be relaunching for season two in the summer. So there will be more information coming down the pipeline. We do have a Facebook page that you can like and keep up to date on all of our updates on there. We have very difficult conversations on there. We invite people who have different wide range of views on different perspectives. And we have open, honest questions. People can come on as a made-up name with a different identity. And the hosts is clarity and nuance. And those hosts are constantly changing. Like Third Paradigm, there's another podcast that is through API of Vote Michigan. It's a nonprofit 501c3. We took the formula from Third Paradigm and basically almost copy-pasted it for this nonprofit. It's called Unfiltered Identity. The only difference between the two is that unfiltered identity is more marketed to the API and Asian American communities, um, Asian Pacific communities, while its third paradigm is more open to everybody, even though 
the APIA one can also do cross-cultural as well, but it is through an Asian Pacific nonprofit. There's the two podcasts. There's also the TV show. And I also have my own, like, um, I run two businesses. I have Digiree Media. It's graphic design and photography and also my music. I'm on Spotify. All these podcasts are also on Spotify, by the way, but I also have my music as well. And I compose and write my own music with a lot of influences from different countries and cultures around the world, while I also educate people about the musical instruments that I'm playing. Oh! I actually didn't know that, and I need to listen to that, like, as soon as we're yeah. here. <laughs> we, we will talk about that later. Um, I would... Does your, actually, here's um, a fun fact. TV so, right now, the name of the show is pretty yet? much unfinished right now. Like, it's not declared, but here's the fun thing. On our Indiegogo page... We provided a link to a Google Doc where we're asking people to rank names. So they can pick multiple names that stick out to them. We have a little bit of a blip at the top that kind of says, like, mm. if we were to pitch a show to you like this, what are some of the names that come to mind? And there's a list of names that we kind of put on that a bunch of us kind of thought about. And then there's a se- section for, like, other. So someone can write whatever they want in there. And then they can go in there and vote, but they can rank them. So I want to do an alternative votive style so they can rank their top down to their least interest one. So for you, the audience, you're part of this project with us. So you get to help us decide on the name. That's great. And I know you have big, big plans for this. But right now, the biggest goal that we have is we have a budget of about $30,000. That's just to get episode one up off the ground. So right now, my PR team is working very, very hard right now, putting together the social media aspects of it, finding ways to getting the word out there a lot more. I'm plugging it in everywhere I can find. I'm reaching out to different news orgs. I have an amazing grant writer who's also been helping significantly kind of plugging it in and writing up for the grants. So right now, our immediate goal is to get the word out more that we need this. Because it's so grassroots, we're starting with no money, literally nothing. So we're relying heavily on the general population to either, if they can financially support us, please support. If they cannot, then please share that link all around with everybody. The more people who at least know that we exist, the better. And right now, episode one is finished in the writing works. And then now we're working on episode two. The show ideally is a six episode season. And it leads up to a season finale. So right now, each episode is going to focus on each of the family members. And then it's going to move into season two, ideally, if we can get the funds. But for the immediate need right now, it's that financial backing. That's that's our biggest, biggest hurdle. Best case scenario, and I know this is very, very, very difficult to project, but say everything just goes really great. Ideally, we are looking to finish it by summer of 2021. Ideally, probably late summer. It'll probably hit into the fall when it's completely edited and finished. The episode would run about 30 some minutes, but that is our current timeline is we want to get episode one recorded and finished this year. And especially because we're still technically in the pandemic, it's still very raw to us. So this show would not be foreign to us. So that's like my big goal. And ideally, if we can get that one up, um, there have been talks about wanting to pitch it to Netflix and HBO and other different streaming platforms. Thank you for sharing (laughs) about that. Wow, Dan, I love talking to you about Epcot and about culture and all the the (laughs) no thank you we need more people like you you in this world that give platforms for people like us (laughs) like we really 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 need that and 
I think that's the reason why it's important that we are working in this media field is we're amplifying our voices. And I think it's incredible. And you're a huge part of that. Well, thank you for agreeing to be on this. And yeah, thank thank you you so much. much. And good luck with all of the projects that you are doing. Thank you for listening to The Patchwork Girl and Friends. You can help make the show better by supporting me on Patreon. My Patreon supporters get access to cool benefits like early access to commercial-free episodes and behind-the-scenes features. Just look for Patchwork Girl Productions on Patreon.com. Next time on The Patchwork Girl and Friends. When I first heard that there was like Tommy by The Who being produced by the local high school, I kind of thought it was going to be something like Mamma Mia, where it was just influenced by music. So often I was used to rock music being more like a lowbrow sort of thing. And all of a sudden there's this mm. huge story. At the end when Tommy has his cult, there's just pinball machines everywhere. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with the way that the Who shows worked, but there was a lot of smashing the guitars <laughs> and microphones yeah. and destroying things. The 60s were a huge decade. and. I think for a lot of people, it kind of felt like the 60s would never end.